Well, it's really nice to hear from you, and I'm talking to Representative Debbie Armstrong, who is going to be running for re-election in District 17? 17, yes. I'm wondering how things are going, because it's so difficult to campaign these days. Yes, and uh, first of all, Susan, thank you for having me on. I, I appreciate the opportunity. It is a whole new world for everything, including campaigning, and trying to figure out different ways to do that. And some of the things that I've done is calling constituents, emailing more regularly, and having some Facebook town halls, participating in some of those, and trying to just communicate with my constituents in different ways that we didn't do before because obviously door-to-door canvassing is off the table, at least for sure for the primary and maybe for the general as well. We don't know yet. And so just trying to figure out different ways to be visible and communicating with my constituents. So what are you hearing from your constituents? How are they managing? What I hear mostly is thankfulness for having a a strong governor who has closed things down. But, of course, people very nervous about opening up and struggling. Lots of calls about trying to work through the unemployment system, calls about in the early days in particular testing and how um, just how the virus works call asking about how the budget process is going to go when the when the legislators come back in a special session making sure that services to health care doesn't get cut during this epidemic lots of people concerned of course if they're small business owners opening up and getting revenue again but on the same hand people really worried about having to go back to work and it be unsafe and or still will be hesitant to be out and about very much. So it's all an unknown, but, you know, kind of the myriad of probably typical questions I've had. And so they're afraid that they might be called back to work before they're ready to go, before they feel safe. Some I've heard that from, absolutely. Small business owners anxious to open up, but employees not necessarily anxious to be there yet. Yeah. Well, I guess you probably, as your role in head of health and human services and in the vice chair of the interim committee also, I'm sure that you have a lot of health calls and a lot of hospitals and doctors who are getting in touch. I do. I've talked to quite a few providers and provider associations. I've also actually helped a number of constituents and non-constituents navigate healthcare system when it's not COVID-related, but they've got underlying healthcare crisis that's not COVID, but still need to seek medical care. Lots of concern from docs about people not coming in for wellness stuff. You know, when they've shut down the non-essential healthcare services, it doesn't mean everything was closed, but I've heard from pediatricians about concern that there's not enough well baby checks and immunizations going on for oh. uh, for uh, babies and small children. So concerned about that. I think the the amount of care that people are seeking for just their regular ongoing care is down. But providers are also getting creative about using telehealth 
and checking in by phone or video so forth. So it, it is a whole new world out there, but we, we need to be sure that we don't um, crash the rest of our healthcare system by focusing only on COVID because people don't stop getting, you know, catastrophic illnesses or dealing with chronic conditions. And certainly children need the immunizations. Right. We don't want to um, also be dealing with an outbreak of measles, for instance, at the same time we're dealing with COVID. Well, it seems as though people would know you because of you've been so active over the years. But for listeners who don't, let's go back a little bit into your background. Sure. So I started out as a physical therapist and was a practicing PT for about 25 years. So I've been in healthcare in one way or another for probably about 45 years. But practicing therapist, I worked in every kind of healthcare setting from ICUs and hospitals to outpatient to schools and nursing homes. So I've, I've done it all, but settled ultimately in home health and hospice. So that's where I focused my attention and was interested in health policy and the laws and regulations around home health and hospice, in particular therapies, rehab. So I went to law school, and I can't believe that's almost been 20 years now since Boy, I graduated I... from UNM Law School, but never practiced as an attorney. I'm licensed. I'm now inactive, but licensed for a long time as an attorney, but did focus on health policy and went out of law school to the state agency on aging and working for our current governor when she was the director of the state agency and then ultimately was secretary of when it got elevated to a cabinet-level department. The governor started out as the first secretary for a few months, and then I took over as secretary when she went to Department of Health as secretary there. So I was worked in the administration at a high level doing all aging and uh, long-term care policy and advocacy and serving seniors. And for the last 10 or 12 years, I've had a small business. It's a association and nonprofit management company, but my focus area is as executive director of the New Mexico Medical Insurance Pool, mm-hmm. which is a legislatively created nonprofit health insurance program for people, largely was created for people with pre-existing conditions or who couldn't otherwise get insured, and it is still playing a role today, and we insure several thousand people who don't have other means of getting insured or who started on the pool a long time ago and have just stayed on. So that's my day job, and I was first elected, first started serving in 2015, elected in 2014. And, of course, because of your background, you went quite easily into working with Health and Human Services in the legislature and in the interim. But let's just talk a minute about the insurance pool because there was some question for a while about whether it would continue when ACA came into being, when the federal health insurance came into being. But there Mm -hmm. were reasons that you maintained it. So let's just let people know about that. Sure. The board of directors decided not to close down the pool until we were pretty sure there wasn't a gap that wasn't being filled. And so there is a population of folks that we cover who are under 65 and on Medicare because of preexisting uh, or disability or, or end-stage renal disease. So we have a number of people who 
can't otherwise get a supplemental insurance to help them, particularly with dialysis or really high-cost medications, a disease with high-cost medications for which they qualified for Medicare. We don't serve people who are on Medicare just because of their age, so over 65, but the under 65 we do. We also serve a number of people with really high-cost conditions or complicated conditions who have been on the pool and just don't want to change their carrier. They're used to how it works and who they can go see and so forth. And then the board decided they are really a safety net for those who can't get insured. And one of those groups who can't get insured is if you did not, for whatever reason, purchase insurance during open enrollment, then you can't purchase it the rest of the year, but people still get sick. So we do enroll people um, in other times of the year. We also are not as relevant probably the last decade or so, but it's particularly relevant right now. An automatic eligibility is if you've lost group coverage. So people who are losing their jobs and losing health insurance coverage are automatically qualified for the pool, as we fondly call it. Premiums are discounted for people under 400% of poverty. And the board recently decided to lower the overall premiums somewhat. So it still costs money. And unfortunately, health insurance is not cheap, but it isn't any more expensive on the pool than it is in the in the marketplace. But lots of folks who need need help we work with the Department of Health to cover folks that they're managing with HIV AIDS or medically fragile children or hep C. So we've got a lot of pretty complex and pretty sick folks that we cover. Probably close to 3,000 people are on the but pool still. It's nice to know that you're there, especially for people who are losing their insurance. Right. But you also cover... Undocumented. Undocumented. Yeah. Yeah. The only requirement in that regard is to be a resident of New Mexico. Okay. So we do have folks who don't have other, don't have other options. And so we are a true safety net when you can't get on Medicaid and you can't purchase through the exchange because it's closed enrollment or whatever or your immigration status. Many of whom are documented but haven't been here long enough or have the right documentation, so we can cover them in the pool. I'm talking to Representative Debbie Armstrong. So, quite a big job apart from what you do in the legislature. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I've been sort of wondering, to get back to the legislature, I've been sort of wondering what's going to happen with interim committees. I mean, because we're going into a 60-day session the next year, and So interim committees are really essential for that. Yes. Now, uh, traditionally, the interim committees, most of the interim committees haven't gotten started till the start of the new fiscal year, July. So what I've heard is that's still the plan. And the other reason not to quite start up yet is Legislative Council is putting together the technology that we will need in order to do those committee meetings virtually, but to be able to include the public. So best case scenario, we could meet in person, but I don't anticipate that happening. So no, I don't. I don't. Not this year. I think mass gatherings will be some of the last things to 
to be allowed and so for everyone's safety, but we should be able to meet virtually where everyone can can see and participate and we can still take public comment as we would, but that technology, you know, has to be developed and managed and staff have to be adept at, at managing that. And so I think Ledge Council's in the process of doing that so that we can carry on virtually. And are you discussing with staff what subjects, what the topics will be that the committees will meet around? We haven't, yes and no. I mean, those conversations are starting. We haven't formalized anything. I I think we're, you know, everyone is waiting to see special session and kind of how this pandemic has evolved. Early on, everyone hoped it would be over relatively soon. I don't think that's going to happen. And so, you know, and how severe the budget is, because that may be where we have to focus, and in particular for LHHS, we really are going to need to focus on public health and the implications because of the pandemic in behavioral health and and other social service safety net programs. And so I think we will be pretty focused around that because I'm hoping that in any budget redesign that we are careful about where we make cuts or where we uh, don't, and potentially some places needing even more investment. So I think we'll be pretty focused on, you know, the issues surrounding COVID for uh, long-term viability of of um, healthcare and uh, social safety nets. So you really won't have a chance to go into new fields or to try new ideas or anything probably um i don't think i don't think initially no i think we we have to focus in and hunker down on what is most essential and where the greatest needs are and then see as we go forward from there for future years where that can be tweaked and where we've got opportunities to you know to develop new ways of doing things Well, let's talk about some of the things that Women's Focus listeners have heard about for a long time, and that is, of course, reproductive choice and also paid family leave is something Mm -hmm. that we've been talking about and hoping for. Sure. Those are two really important things, and I think that this whole pandemic points out a whole lot of things that we need, family leave being really important, particularly if we don't get back to being uh, able to have as much child care, adult daycare, senior centers, et cetera, or if nursing homes remain hotbeds of infection or whatever it is, family caregiving and being able to have that leave to support your family is really important. As an example, and I have my own business, I can work from home and so forth, but as a family caregiver for an elderly mother and a daughter with advanced cancer, I can't go back out in public for any time soon because they're at the highest, highest risk and I'm their caregiver. And so while I may feel pretty healthy and could, you know, withstand getting sick, my family can't as household members. And so I understand that for, for lots of families. And I think we will, hear about a lot more 
families in that situation where they have to be able to take care of their family because of their health conditions. And access to reproductive care, you know, we passed a bill this last session to be able to pay pharmacists for their clinical services when prescribing within their scope of practice. And one of that scope of practice areas is in being able to prescribe oral contraceptives and emergency contraception. And we're trying to make it more accessible that way. We had passed also in a previous year being able to get six months of contraception at one time so that you weren't going back every one month, every three months, but could could get that. Telehealth is appropriate for healthcare visits, just like you would go to your primary care. You know, I think that healthcare for family planning purposes. And I would, you know, we had passed telehealth legislation prior to COVID. We're using it more now and, and providing more flexibility in that. But I would foresee that that's one of those changes going forward in healthcare that with more accessibility and acceptance of telehealth when it's appropriate. So, you know, we have not uh, scaled back in New Mexico what we pay for in reproductive health. I am a little worried that people aren't accessing it the way they would have. So I'm anxious for just like kids getting in for their well checks. Those are essential services. So family planning services are essential services and, and can and are open. So we need to make sure that, that that's successful. With schools closed, we, school-based health centers are closed, yeah. um, and that's which is another area. Of, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we will have to regroup and figure out how we reach people and how we continue to provide services safely. But we will continue to try and, and bolster whatever we can around reproductive care and access to a full continuum of, of reproductive health care. Okay, that sounds good. Let me tell you something else I've been concerned about just lately is we've been trying to get the Commission on the Status of Women reestablished again, mm-hmm. and there is some funding for it that is scheduled to carry over into the next year because the commissioners haven't been appointed yet. So it'll be ready for them to get the commission going again. And I'm concerned that that might not happen with all the difficulties that are, will be before. Yeah, I don't, I don't, um, I don't know a status update on that. I do know that they were getting close. The governor was getting close to having those appointments done before all this hit. And as you might understand, everybody is, you know, kind of refocused. But I think that's an important area to maintain, just as we talked about, access to reproductive care. I think, in, as you know, when you're in hard economic times, women are hit the hardest. And so I think having that advocacy and awareness of the impact of everything on women as caregivers, as lower wage earners, so women are traditionally harder hit when you're in these kind of economic times. So I think it's still important to move that forward. Well, that sounds good. I've read actually some articles about other states where they've especially talked about the role that women 
are playing, that women's commissions are playing in bringing women into, or keeping women into the economy, in yeah. the, uh, vibrant in the economy. So yeah. hopefully that's what will happen. Well, thank you so much. I, I know about what you're involved in, but when I hear about all of it, I really appreciate your taking the time to talk to us, and it's so nice to hear what your thoughts are. And Well, um, and... And thank you, Susan. Again, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, and it's very nice to hear your voice. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye.